You're listening to Diffuse Tap with Kenny Estes and Isla Krem. On this episode, we're talking to Alan Sukolitsky, Chief Investment Officer at Masterworks, where they're shaking up how you invest in art. Turns out traditional art is thriving, even while NFT, quote unquote, art is in the toilet. It'll be a fascinating conversation. Enjoy. All right. Welcome back, one and all. Hopefully you had a good conversation. As a reminder, you are now in the big room, so please do keep yourself on mute. Otherwise, it causes mayhem. But for those of you who are new, here's what you can expect. We do this every week. This is the 105th one of these. Um, So we've been at it for a little while now. We're going to ever so briefly talk about Diffuse Tap, which is where you are right now, as well as Diffuse, um, explain why we're doing what we're doing. And then we're going to have a fireside chat with Mr. Sukolitsky. And then we're going to do two more rounds of breakout rooms, kind of similar to what you just experienced. We'll try to keep it a little bit topical by giving you something to talk about. Um, But the reason is, this is largely a networking event, about 45 minutes of our hour here together is networking in small groups. So to steal Mr. Culver's talking points, it's ideally a chance for you to meet about 10 to 15 new alternative investors from somewhere in the world. We got most continents represented at this point. Um, But we do want you to come away a little more intelligent. We have people like Alan in the house who's going to share some of his wisdom with us. And we did start, this was not by our doing, but it kind of started and we're supportive of it. In-person versions of this, so more networking, fewer speakers, more more speakers, depending on how you define it. The next one is June 7th in New York. I'll actually be at that one. Might be a little wait, late owing to a flight. And then the one after that is in Dallas. So the first one is hosted by Mr. Gale. And the second one is hosted by Mr. Fritch. So if you're in Dallas on the, on the 8th or in New York on the 7th, make sure to check us out if you like this sort of thing. Why do we do this? Well, Diffuse is an alternative fund uh, incubator. So we have a number of digital asset funds. Uh, one category are our DeFi funds focused on generating yield, um, the most popular being market neutral. Haven't had a losing month, just kind of prints money and does its thing. And then the other one is our DD30 index fund that we're in the process of IPOing. We just got the big bogey for us was to get to 30 investors so we could submit our FINRA application. We hit that yesterday. Um, so FINRA application potentially can be in by the end of the month and we can be live trading not that long thereafter. So if anybody wants to participate in that, we are offering um, some GP stake for those who invest pre-IPO. But you're not here to talk about that. You're here to talk about talk or to hear from this man, Mr. Alan Sukolitsky. Alan, do you want to unmute yourself and introduce yourself a little bit? Uh, so my name is Alan Sukolitsky. I am uh, the CIO at a company called Masterworks. Uh, I spent the bulk of my year uh, career at uh, Goldman Sachs. Uh, I spent a bunch of time at Citigroup before that. Basically, I've been in the investment management world uh, for for the entirety of my career. And uh, ultimately, uh, I was sort of surprised to find out that after spending so many years researching what I thought was every asset class under the sun that anybody would ever consider investing in. Uh, As it turned out, there was this really gigantic asset class that's kind of been sitting under all of our noses for a very long time. Uh, In fact, it kind of predates most asset classes and the vast majority of investors have never thought about investing in it. So for me, I saw it as a huge opportunity uh, to join a company that was making art investable. I'm going to jump right in here with a bunch of questions. Um, 
why invest in art in the first place? There are many ways to allocate your capital, but why is art particularly attractive? Yeah. So um, let's, let's, I guess, start at the very beginning, which is how big is the asset class in the first place, right? And, and the, way, the way that I often split up the universe of investments that we live in is on the one hand, you have asset classes that have existed for a very long time and investors have been investing in them for a very long time. Those would be things like stocks and bonds and commodities and honestly, even uh, private equity and hedge funds, so on and so forth. They've existed for a while. People have invested in them for a while. Then on the other side of the spectrum, you basically have asset classes that are fairly new. And so by definition, investors haven't really been investing in them for that long because they're pretty new. That would be things along the lines of cryptocurrencies. Well, what I couldn't believe about art, if you think about the, that kind of spectrum that I just created, the thing about art is that it's existed for quite literally centuries, and yet almost nobody has ever considered investing in it. Not literally no one, but almost no one. So the asset class in terms of size is $1.7 trillion. Now, I'm just going to put that into context for you. If you think about uh, the U.S. private equity industry, which everyone knows is a very large industry, art is half the size of the U.S. private equity industry. I would argue that anything that's half the size of private equity is probably very big. Um, it's bigger than private credit, which many investors have considered investing in. It's bigger than private real assets, which many investors have considered investing in. So art is this strange asset class that is really big, and yet most investors have never considered investing in it. So in terms of how it's performed over time, it's actually been appreciating for several decades now at 14%. To put that in context, the S&P 500 US stocks, uh, it's, they've been appreciating at a little under 10%. So I would argue anything that's appreciated at over 14% for several decades probably should be on an investor's radar. Ultimately, maybe you decide not to invest in it for one reason or another, but it should at least be on your radar. And then the most exciting part about uh, art as an asset class, or I should say most exciting for me, remember I come from that sort of research investing uh, background, is the correlation profile. I have quite literally never seen a correlation profile in my career that looks like the correlation profile that art has. And here's what I mean by that. A lot of investors, when they want to diversify their portfolios, they look for asset classes that have low correlation to stocks. Why? Because if it has a low correlation to stocks, it's a good way to diversify your portfolio. Now, many investors actually stop checking whether the asset class they're thinking about investing in has a low correlation to all the other stuff they own. They focus primarily on, does it have a low correlation to stocks? Why do they do that? And I, by the way, I never thought about this in my career before I came across art. The reason most investors don't do that is because most of an investor's portfolio is comprised of U.S. stocks. So if you find something that is a low correlation to stocks, you're probably better off. Well, what's so fascinating about art's profile is that it has low correlation to more than 15 major asset classes that you would ever consider investing in. Large cap stocks, small cap stocks, U.S. bonds, international bonds, private equity, hedge funds, real estate, commodities. I don't even think I hit 15, but it's more than 15. And it has quite literally zero correlation to any of them. What does that tell you? 
It tells you that no matter what you already have in your portfolio, if you put art into your portfolio, art is not going to act like anything else in it. And it's basically going to be a pretty good diversifier. Sorry, that was a long-winded answer. I get excited about this. No, I love it. That's great. So huge asset class, non-correlated. So it's going to be somewhere on the efficient frontier. Um, I'll ask you a super softball question, then we'll go to more from the chat. By the way, anybody in the audience, feel free to chuck your uh, questions in the chat there. Um, how, how do I go about buying art? I mean, apparently I can go try to buy the Mona Lisa. Maybe it's a little cheaper with some cake on it these days. But uh, yep. what if, how, do, how, is that, how is that viable? Yep. So... Um, if you think about investing in art, traditionally speaking, assuming you wanted to buy blue chip artists, which as a side note, that's the type of art that we focus on. We focus on contemporary art and specifically the blue chip segment of the art market. If you wanted to buy that segment of the art market, each painting you might consider buying would be multi-million dollars. So even if you have, let's say, the capacity to buy a $10 million painting, there is a reasonable chance that you're not going to get a whole lot of diversification by just owning that one $10 million painting. So the process that we came up with several years ago, which was pretty revolutionary at the time, I mean, it's, it's, it, I'll explain it to you. It's a very simple process, but at the time it was revolutionary. What we basically do is we buy a painting with balance sheet capital. We create an LLC, file it with the SEC. We put the painting into that LLC. There's just one thing in that LLC, that's the painting. And then we take the LLC public. We issue shares. When investors buy shares in that LLC, which remember holds only one thing in it, which is a painting, when they buy shares in that LLC, they are effectively buying shares in the painting. So what once was multi-million dollar works of art that you could only access if you had multi-millions of dollars to buy the art, now you can buy fractional shares in those blue chip artists that, uh, that we buy. Fascinating. Um, how do you place a value on some of these blue chip pieces of art? Because I'm sure that over time they appreciate and that LLC might appreciate, but how do you uh, give it a mark at some point? Yep. So um, one of the first projects that, uh, that Masterworks had at its inception was, actually, let me, let me take a step back. Anyone who's been in the financial services world knows that if you want to get data for a particular stock or a bond or anything else that everyone sort of already invests in, that data is very readily accessible. You go to your favorite data provider, maybe it's Bloomberg, maybe it's Refinitiv, it doesn't matter. In fact, honestly, you could probably go on a lot of public data providers too, Google Finance, Yahoo, but all of this data is readily available. Nobody even thinks twice about it. We take it for granted, it's all there. Believe it or not, all of that data for the art market has not exactly existed in any one place before. So the first project that Masterworks had when it started was to, and I kid you not, uh, we hired dozens of analysts and their job was to go, to, to go through thousands of auction catalogs. Many of them, by the way, were in paper format. And their job was to go page by page and put every single transaction that has taken place in the art market going back, I think it's roughly 60 to 70 years, every single one of those transactions into a database. So the catchy phrase that I like to use is we built Bloomberg for the art market, and we are the only ones with the license to that terminal. So we have this extraordinary amount of data, 
And when it comes to valuing art, all it takes is going into our database to find the particular works of art that are comparable to a piece that we might be interested in buying. And we have all of the information right there at our fingertips. Um, as, as a side note, there's there's kind of this, uh, sometimes I get the question, uh, you know, how um, uh, for, for the process of, uh, of valuing your art, uh, do you have anyone externally do it? And obviously the point of that question is, are we supposed to trust you guys to value your own art or is there an external third party that does it? And the reason why there's so much irony in that question is because on the one hand, yes, we obviously want to have an external third party do it and we do. But on the other hand, we would argue that there's probably no external third party that has nearly as much data on the art market as we do in the first place. So we think that our valuation uh, metrics are significantly more accurate, but nevertheless, yes, we do have third parties externally that value our art. So the audience here, um, pretty heavy on the crypto side of things, digital assets. So they hear uh, fractional ownership and immediately go to NFTs or just tokens of some flavor, security or utility. So what was um, what do you think about that market? in general, and then as it pertains to your business model and why you went with the public LLC versus more of a tokenization type strategy? So in, in terms of the tokenization versus the kind of traditional securitization route, we chose securitization because we felt like it was more transparent. Um, all of our filings with the SEC, you can quite literally, you can go to our website and for every painting that we have on offer, there is a link directly to the SEC's website where you can read a very long document that looks like an S1. And you can, if, if you ever wanted, as a side note, if you ever wanted to become an expert on any particular artist's market or a painting, you can go ahead and read that document and you will become an expert on that artist's market. Uh, we have provenance information, which is basically a fancy way of saying who owned the painting before us, who owned it before them, and who owned it before that person, going all the way back to the original gallery that might have brought the, uh, the work of art to, uh, to the market. Um, so basically, we wanted to take a very, very transparent approach in a market that, if I had to be honest, I would say traditionally has not been the most transparent. The art market is kind of known that way. Uh, so we wanted to be as transparent as, uh, as we possibly could. And, and that's why we kind of took the traditional uh, securitization route. We, as a side note, it's interesting. We we actually have a lot of uh, we have a lot of crypto investors who invest in art, and it's it's sort of funny because you know the there's probably there's probably not a lot of overlap between you know real physical blue chip works of art and crypto. But I think the one thing that they do share in common is that they are only recently being brought to the investor community as an investment opportunity. That's probably what they share in common. And so a lot of crypto investors actually do get excited about this idea that, wait a minute, art has always existed around us. Nobody ever thought about investing in it. That might actually be kind of a fun uh, investment opportunity, too. Someone pointed out something interesting about the cost of an auction. What is the transaction cost for these LLCs when a piece of art gets sold and things become valuable? up, but is 20% haircut something common or, or what are we talking about there? Yeah, so auction fees are actually quite high. Um, when we started, and and twenty percent, you you can say that that's roughly an average figure for an auction fee. Um, unfortunately, though, if you are buying pieces of art uh, whole, 
uh, you would not only pay that 20%, assuming you bought it at auction, by the way, uh, not only the 20%, but there are also dealer fees. There are a bunch of other commissions you pay, uh, transportation fees, insurance fees. <laughs> Once you start adding them up, it gets pretty expensive. Um, when we started our business, before we were as big as we are now, by the way, uh, we are one of, so I have to say that we are one of the largest buyers in the art market because we can't actually prove definitively that we are the largest, even though we have a pretty good uh, uh, case to make that we are the largest. But before that, at the beginning, we sourced a lot of the art that we buy uh, at auction, right? Because that was sort of the easiest way to access different works of art that we might want to buy. Fast forward to where we are today, and we probably do 20% of our purchases at auction, far less. We used to do, I think it was roughly 80%. We do far less at auction. And the way that our business works now, because we've become, again, one of the largest buyers, um, there are a lot of international collectors and uh, individuals, collectors, institutions who have works of art that they're thinking of selling. And because we're so well known in the marketplace now, all of those individuals actually come directly to us to try to engage in sort of a private transaction in the art market. So we can sort of bypass a lot of the fees uh, that you would spend at an auction. But I will add one more thing that because we've become such a good partner with the auction houses, we've actually negotiated our fees down with the auction houses considerably uh, to the point where the auction fees we pay now, if we transact at auction, they're probably about 5% down from, you know, that 20% starting point. Love it. Uh, last question, and then we're going to pop to breakout rooms, but uh, pick up uh, Strada's question, actually. So one of the big appeals of owning art is showing it off, <laughs> preferably in your house somewhere. So where, how is this, how are these uh, pieces of art actually physically stored? Where are they on display yep. somewhere? Like, what does that look like? Yep. So um, most of the time, the majority of the art is stored at the Delaware Freeport. Uh, If you are a major art collector in the United States, there is a very good chance that you are storing your art at the Delaware Freeport. Um, It is a state-of-the-art storage facility, climate-controlled, humidity-controlled, all of the above. Uh, So that's where our art spends most of its time. However, uh, we actually built a beautiful art gallery in our office in downtown New York City. Um, And we are rotating different works of art through that gallery. So There are usually, let's call it five to 10 pieces in there at any point in time. We, by the way, have a total of 120 pieces so far. Uh, So there are anywhere from five to 10 in the gallery. We rotate them, let's call it monthly. Um, And so basically it's sort of a, it's a really fun part of my job that I can come into the office and there's a gallery right next to me where, you know, we have anywhere from 20 to $100 million worth of art just sitting there that, uh, that we can go and, uh, and take a look at and enjoy. And we, and we do, of course, invite investors to, uh, to come and appreciate the art that, uh, that's in there as well. Awesome. That's great. Oh, uh, breakout room, Zyla? Yeah, we can do it. Yeah. Let's do it. All right. Sounds good. Uh, that's great. Uh, Alan, appreciate it. We're going to ask you the same question. We're going to do a breakout room and ask you the same question we always ask, which is, uh, what do you see coming down the pipe? What are you excited about in the future? Not necessarily to Masterworks specifically, but generally speaking. But with that said, some housekeeping items for the breakout rooms. Um, it's networking, not pitching. Please be respectful of that. Be kind. And then the big one is we don't send a full participant list. So if you meet somebody you want to connect with, swap your details then and there, or join the Telegram group, introduce yourself, ask for 
connections to whoever you're looking to get connected to. Um, the group's really good about things like that. Beautiful. I'll uh, hop in and I'll put you all into groups of five or six. Definitely stick around. You'll meet some interesting alternative investors. Uh, I'll give you a question, but uh, don't feel obliged to discuss this one. Um, do you own a piece of art? And if yes, what is it? Um, that is one of the questions for the group to discuss. I pop into rooms now and we'll see you back here in exactly 10 minutes. All right. Welcome back, everyone. Alan, as promised, uh, please tell us the future. <laughs> tell us the future. Um, That's well, enough. I, I, I would, I guess I would, um, I would be it's probably selfish to say uh, the the most exciting part, I guess, for us uh, in terms of our business. So everything that I told you before was how Masterworks started. We offered individual paintings for investment to self-directed investors. Uh, we since actually recently launched a diversified art portfolio. Um, if you've been in the financial services world, you know that you know diversified portfolios exist for pretty much everything. You can buy stock, diversified portfolios, bond. You know that's oftentimes how uh, investors build their overall portfolio. So we launched the diversified art portfolio. That is a, a pretty exciting part of our business. Um, it's available to accredited investors. I should say that, um, but uh, but that's probably the most exciting thing we've seen. Um, I would, uh, one thing I would mention, so I didn't talk about this before, emerging artists, and I saw a question about that, um, emerging artists are not a place that we currently are investing in, and there's, there's a good reason why, but it doesn't mean that we'll never do it in the future. The good reason why is because what we've learned, not surprisingly, is that the emerging, uh, emerging artist space is actually very much like the venture capital of art investing. Uh, that's what our data showed. I talked about that big database that we have. Um, what it became very clear to us is you can pick 10 emerging artists and one of them will probably end up being extraordinarily successful. Nine of them will end up not. And it's really hard to figure out which of those 10 is going to be the extraordinarily successful one. So we wanted to start our business um, specifically focused on blue chip artists. Does that mean we'll never consider offering a emerging artist oriented fund? No, we might down the line if we get, you know, kind of a better handle on the data and how to pick those artists. But uh, but at the moment, we're we're kind of exclusively focused on blue chip names. Gotcha. Makes sense. Appreciate that. Um, all right. Well, I think we'll do one more breakout room. Isla, are you ready on that front? Yeah, I'll put you again in some groups of five or six. Um, maybe I'll follow on in one of Alan's areas that he's not so keen on, but you know, I know a lot of folks here are. And does art really belong on the chain or is that kind of overkill for something that doesn't need to end up on the chain after all? Um, I'll let the groups discuss again. And you should meet some new folks this time around. Uh, if you end up with the same people in a room, that is definitely Zoom's algorithm failure. I'll see you all back in about 10 minutes. All right, all right, all right. We're here at the top of the hour, so we're gonna do a quick wrap up, if I can find the right slide. This one, there we go. Uh, we said this is a weekly event, so next week, same time, risk management in the age of Bitcoin. Crypto risk management is a lot more popular than it was a month ago. Um, so come learn a little bit about that. Diffuse Tap in person, we mentioned already, June 7, NYC, June 8, 
Dallas. If you're either of those areas, come check her out. Um, you can register, I believe, through our website. And then, uh, yeah, Isla's already chucked the Telegram link in the chat. It will also be in a follow-up email. Join, introduce yourself. It's great for making connections. Isla, will I forget? Nothing, actually. I think we're all Perfect. good. Oh, actually, there might be a surprise last-minute event for consensus next week. So not only are you all meeting in New York on Wednesday with Kenny, you're also potentially meeting in uh, Austin on Thursday at 5 p.m. I'll so be there. Me if you happen to be there. Perfect. Awesome. All right. Kate, Kate, the ambassador. Love it. Thank you. Um, well, with that note, thank you everybody for coming. And Alan, thank you so much for sharing some of your wisdom. Thank you all. Uh, it was nice chatting with you. Yep. Thank you. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you, folks. Thank you, everyone. Nice you Cheers. You've been listening to Diffuse Tap with Isla Krem and Kenny Estes. If you enjoyed these conversations, join us for the live version every Wednesday-ish at 10 a.m. Central. In addition to the Fireside Chat, the live event features three rounds of networking in small groups with alternative fund GPs, LPs, and supporters from around the world. Log on to www.diffusefunds.com to register yourself now.